The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning to all of you, wherever you may be this morning. You know, I, I say good morning, but there's a part of my heart that wonders if it really is good. But I know the Bible says this is a day that the Lord has made, and so I will rejoice and be glad in it. Before I move into our message this morning, I just want to say thank you to Andy Barefoot and our task force who have led us through the process of assimilating all the information we possibly could to put a plan together for reentry as a church. I know you're ready, I'm ready, we're ready, and in God's timing, we will come together soon. I'm also grateful for our elder team and their wisdom, and I'm also grateful for the nearly several hundred of you who filled out a survey and helped us assimilate information, hearing what you are thinking. We took into consideration other pastors in our city and what they're thinking and what they're doing. We also took into consideration uh, what our state and local officials are also saying. And so we're excited about the plan that we have And of course, as everything in this season, those plans are subject to change according to what happens tomorrow and the next day. And so I just ask that you would pray for us in our plans and our goals this morning. Well, this is a difficult morning, and there I cannot remember, I can't remember the last time that I preached that I was not excited about preaching. But today is one of those days. And I, there's no need this morning, and really it would not be appropriate to try to dress up the sermon today with some sort of illustration. So we just need to speak plainly today and say what we're feeling and say what Scripture says. Most importantly, this has been another difficult week for us in our country. Several weeks ago when Ahmad Arbery was murdered, I experienced anger angry because this was happening again. This week when we saw the video of George Floyd being murdered, my anger turned to grief and and really sadness. And so the latter half of this week has just been a week of sadness and grief for me personally. And I know the things that I've been experiencing have been experienced infinitely above and beyond by our friends of color this morning. It's been a terrible week. Another black man has been murdered. Our cities are on fire, we're angry, we're upset, we're casting blame, we're deflecting blame, we're hurt, we're sad, we're grieved, and we're tired. I'm tired, and I know our friends of color are tired this morning. I don't think it would be a stretch to suggest that there is very little joy in our country today. And so I titled a message this morning that I wrote last night. I changed the direction of where I was going to go multiple times since Wednesday of this week. And quite honestly, if if I could just be transparent with you this morning, I didn't want to deliver a message on race today. I, I don't want to ever have to deliver a message on race, quite honestly. We've done so at Story City. We've gathered a team of people and a panel to talk about race several years ago in the Colony Theater. Our friend and pastor, D.A. Horton, has spoken to our church on race this morning. 
but I'm reluctant and hesitant to speak on race, and let me tell you why. Because I want it to be behind us. But I know that's not the reality of where we are, and if I was just honest, I wonder if it will ever be our reality. And so I wrote a message yesterday titled, We Need Hope. I sent a message to someone last night who was speaking to a group of people, and I said, I'm praying for you because I believe one of the hardest things to do is to deliver a message of hope when your heart and your soul are hurting. And so I want to try to point us this morning to hope, and the only way I know how to do so is to point us to Scripture. I've said it now three out of the last four weeks here from this pulpit that The Bible defines reality so very well, and I think the Bible defines reality for us in our current situation extremely well. And so I want to speak to us this morning from Revelation chapter 21. I I, I don't even have points this morning. I have a scripture and I have a title, and I want to walk you through some thoughts that I believe we can see from scripture this morning. And so Revelation chapter 21, this this is the place where I came this week as I'm as I'm looking for hope, as I'm asking God to massage my own heart. And so I want to read that scripture for you this morning, Revelation chapter 21. This is obviously John, and he's on the island of Patmos, and he's got a vision for what heaven is going to be, and he communicates that vision to us, and this is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 21. John says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I don't think I'm... Um, in the minority of saying this morning that I, I, I like movies with good endings. I'm sure there are people who prefer a different type of movie, but I prefer movies with good endings. Uh, I, I like the movies where Cinderella finds her prince. I like the movies where Ralphie gets the Christmas present he's always wanted. I like movies with good endings, and I I think you probably like movies with good endings too, and I think there's a reason for it, and I think the Bible defines that reason for for us because the Bible defines reality for us so well. I believe the reason we like movies with good endings and we like reading a verse like Revelation 21 is because there's a universal desire in all of us that longs for resolution and happy endings and characters and people who find joy and people who find peace and all the loose ends are tied up and all the difficult things are no more. And I think one of the reasons we like movies with good endings is because they provide a way for us to live vicariously through 
these characters to live out the things that we fear we're never going to experience in life, but we desperately long for. I'm desperately longing for a time and a place and a people and a city and a country where we no longer experience racism. C.S. Lewis, we've quoted him before many times, but he says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I desire and discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I believe those desires exist this morning because that's the way God has wired us. That's the way he has created us. I want my marriage to end well. I want my parenting to end well. I want my job to end well. I want my relationships to end well. I want my life to end well. I I want this story of racism to end well. I don't think it's a coincidence that the end of the story of God, as we have just read here, is the restoration of all things that are now becoming new, a new heaven and a new earth, John says. I think we love stories with good endings because deep down, that's what our souls were created for. We want a good ending to what we're watching today. We weren't made to live in the chaos of heartache and pain and suffering and sadness and grief. We're made for more than this life is currently giving us. And I believe this longing was settled in how God created and established things long ago. And the record of Scripture tells us that God will set things straight. And we're going to finally experience the good endings that our heart crave. What are those endings? Well, they're multifaceted, but one of those endings is that the reality is eventually we're going to be restored spiritually. We're going to be restored spiritually forever. We're going to be with God. We're going to be in a perfect relationship with God. In fact, that's what 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. God is going to restore us spiritually. God's promise for this happy ending and this good ending also implies that he's going to restore us physically. There's no more suffering. There's no more aging. There's no more death. That's what Revelation 21, 4 and 5 tells us that we just read. The verse 5 says, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making things new. We're going to be new physically and we're going to be new spiritually. But one of the things that God is also going to make new is he's going to make us new relationally, a perfect relationship with everyone in the new heaven and the new earth. Revelation 7, 9, and after this, John said, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Listen to what he says, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. God's going to restore us spiritually and relationally and physically. He's going to restore us emotionally, everlasting joy and peace, purpose, no more tears. 
That's what Revelation 7:17 says. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And finally, God's going to restore us morally. All people groups, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, the Bible says, will be joined together in perfect harmony, in perfect unity. There's no more prejudice. There's no more elitism. There's no more racism. There are no more wars. Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You understand this morning that God's intention for humanity was not mental and emotional and relational and spiritual and cultural deficits. It's not how we were intended. But the record of Scripture tells us that all of humanity is, is... barreling towards this this one massive reset. And all of the things in life that have been complicated by sin are now going to no longer exist. God is going to eradicate them. And everything that's good and beautiful that we see today, and there are things in our world that are good and beautiful, they're going to be purified. God's going to enhance them to the way they were originally intended to be. In fact, Isaiah chapter 11 tells us the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest, and they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, there are chapters and seasons in our life that are incredibly painful and senseless and cruel. And I believe, and I know we all would say the same thing this morning, the current chapter that we're in is especially difficult, especially for people of color this morning. But I want to remind us the story is not ended. And God's going to tie up the loose ends and his promises will bring restoration. But I also want to say this morning that that, that's, that's then but we still live now. We still live now in a day where our cities are on fire. Our hearts and our souls are devastated. We're angry, we're grieving, we're sad. And so what do we do now with the issues of racism and hate? And this is not exhaustive this morning, but I just wanna speak from my heart to you this morning that I believe is informed by scripture And I want to just offer a few things to consider as we think about addressing the issues of race in our culture. And I just have a few things, and if you want to write them down, feel free to do so. And number one is this. Number one, your race matters. Your race matters. Technically speaking, biblically speaking, there's really only one race, it's, it's the human race. We all have a common ancestry. We're, we're the human race. We have that in common. And the human race also has a common problem today. A common problem is called 
sin. Not only do we have a common ancestry and we've got a common problem, but the Bible tells us we also have a common solution to the problem that we have. And the common solution to the problem that we have is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary for us. And it's important to remember this morning that the things that unite us as a human race are more significant than the things that divide us. But all of us have a sense of understanding this morning that there are things that divide us. It stares us in the face whenever we fill out a form. Are you Caucasian? Are you black? Are you Asian? Are you Latino? Are you Middle Eastern? And we've had these divisions and distinctions ever since the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And even the splintering of languages and and people groups across the world in Genesis chapter 11, when we read that, we must read it in the context that this was not God's ideal. This was the fruit of rebellion against God. And so the Bible details this fallout the splintering of languages and people groups all over the world. And so even in the Bible, we see races and we see nations committing violence against each other in the Bible, particularly in the book of Judges. We're still dealing with humanity's rebellious nature and the splintering of people today. And so progress in reconciliation today has to begin with an acknowledgement that there really are, there really are racial differences There are racial differences this morning, and to acknowledge racial differences this morning usually implies that somebody is going to be uncomfortable. It's because different is uncomfortable. We can't ignore it. We have to own it this morning. Maybe you're hesitant to point out racial differences. Oftentimes I hear my white friends say, well, I don't see color. My kids don't see color. But the reality is we are different colors. We're different colors. God created us that way. And our differences are part of the creative genius of God. God draws us together with our differences. He doesn't just wash out those differences. And so we can't bury our heads in the sand when it comes to differences in race. And so, to my white friends, I want to encourage you to ask friends of color about our differences that you have questions about. We will never get to the place of empathy sitting in someone else's shoes until we come to a place of understanding. My friends who are of color this morning, most white people I know, and I realize it doesn't cover the entire spectrum, but most white friends I know and most white people I know really want to know answers about our differences, but most white people I know, and me at times included, we're afraid to ask. Or most appropriately, we're probably afraid to offend. But race is still threatening to divide us, but may I say to us this morning, but the gospel can unite us. Secondly, I want to say this morning, not only does your race matter, but your culture matters. 
Race and culture are, 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 are interwoven. Race sort of describes people of, of similar physical backgrounds, but, but culture is, is much broader than that. Culture includes language, and it includes customs, and it includes history, and it includes religion. And so race matters in our country, but I'm of the belief, and I think it's true, that, that culture usually carries more weight. But it shouldn't surprise us this morning that we all have cultural preferences. Most people are just comfortable with, with, with people who are like us. Some of those preferences, by the way, are sinful. But we have to acknowledge today that those preferences are real. We have to move beyond that and also believe and apply wisdom that says we can learn from the strengths of other cultures. Oftentimes, we need the correction from other cultures when that correction points us to the wisdom and the beauty of Christ. There's no doubt about it. There are times when white culture wants to correct another culture, another culture wants to correct another culture, and sometimes those corrections don't point us to the beauty and the wisdom of Jesus. But as believers, the times when those corrections do point us to Jesus, we need to lean into them. Race matters. Your culture matters. And number three, may I say this, but the gospel matters more than our race and our culture. Your race matters. Your culture matters. But the gospel matters infinitely more. And what God purchased for us on the cross in the person of Jesus was not just an individual salvation for your individual soul. What God purchased on the cross of Jesus was he also purchased an interrelational. He also, he also purchased intercultural, interracial reconciliation. What he did on the cross was a holistic reconciliation. It's the beauty of the gospel. And so once we read in Genesis chapter 11 that languages and peoples are dispersed all around the world, what we then see is that God is bringing all of those things back together that sin had driven apart. We see that from the record of scripture from Genesis chapter 12 until we get to Revelation chapter 7. We see it often in scripture when we get to the book of Acts chapters 2. We see the gospel bringing together a distinctly multicultural group of people. We see people coming together of different languages, different ethnicities, but the gospel is preached in their language and the gospel unifies them. We see Jesus say in Mark chapter 11, verse 8, my house shall be a house of what prayer for who? For all nations. Acts chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. We see a multicultural leadership in the church at Antioch. One from the Middle East, one from Asia, one from the Mediterranean. We see two from Africa. Once we get to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, listen to me. We see people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people worshiping in unity around the throne of Jesus. 
I'll read it to you again. After this, I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What sin had damaged, Christ is repairing. Racial segregation is overcome. And it can be overcome even today. How? Through the unifying power of Christ and his gospel. Number four, our Christian identity is greater than our ethnic identity. Our Christian identity is greater than our ethnic identity. As the Bible demonstrates for us, racism is not just a white issue or a black issue or a Latino issue or an Asian issue. It's a sinful, human, depraved heart issue. And we all have that in common. John Owen once said, the seed of every sin is in every human heart. Most of us don't want to admit that this is true. But the less we're willing to admit it, the greater our blindness. We have to admit it. We have to admit, we have to acknowledge the racism in our hearts. We have to continually repent of it. And one of the ways to repent of our racism is to primarily define ourselves as a Christian, not as a white, not as a black, not as Latino, not as Asian, not as Middle Eastern. The culture is going to continue to define us by the things that primarily divide us. But within the body of Christ, Paul says there is Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Paul said to the Jew, I became a Jew. His ethnic identity was not his primary identity anymore. Paul had the ability to take off his identity and put on his identity, sort of like a garment. But his identity as a follower of Christ was permanent, and it carried more weight and identified who he was. It was central to who he was. There were times in Paul's ministry when he identified as being Jewish, or he identified as being Roman, such as the time when he was going to be locked up, and he said, I am a Roman citizen. He identified with those things when it served the purpose of the gospel. But his identity as a follower of Christ carried more weight to him than his race. It's not that our racial or, 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 or our cultural differences are wrong this morning. Don't hear me say that. It's simply the fact that we give too much weight to them. White people, too much weight to them. All of us give too much weight to them. We give them too much glory. It's possible to believe right doctrine about Jesus, but then give more weight to other issues in our life. And when issues in our life are heavy and Jesus is light, then I can promise you we're going to find idolatry somewhere in our life. How do I know? Israel had this problem. Israel had this problem during the time of the judges. We have the same problem today. But rather, our race is subservient to Jesus. Our race is subservient to Jesus. We cannot filter Jesus 
through our race and our cultural preferences. When we do, as a white person, we filter Jesus through our racial and our cultural preferences. We make Jesus white. And we can find verses where we do excellent eisegesis, but not exegesis, and we can have proof text and grab scriptures and grab verses and grab passages that make Jesus white. But we can also do that with other races. And as other cultures, we can do the same. We cannot filter Jesus through our racial and cultural preferences. We must filter our racial and cultural preferences through Jesus. There's nothing sinful about our race or culture, but we have an identity that carries more weight, more weight than those things. And for Israel in the time of the judges, Religious identity was so closely, so closely tied to their cultural and their racial identity, they couldn't even imagine a believer who was not a Jew. But because of Jesus, we have an identity that does not allow race to hinder, to be a barrier to seeing people as brothers and sisters because of Jesus. Our blood runs deep, but the blood of Christ runs even deeper. The implication is because our brothers and sisters are hurting. Our calling is to hurt with them. Our calling is to them, not to our race, not to our culture. Our calling is to sit with them, to weep with them, to bear their burden with them. Number five. As Christians, we pursue oneness, not sameness. We pursue oneness, not sameness. We see this in the vision of heaven that John lays out for us in the book of Revelation. And what we see when John lays out that vision is not a vision where race and ethnicity and tribe and tongue are wiped away. That's not what we see. Those things are not gone. Those distinctions are still there. They are still present. But instead of being something that divides us, John's vision of heaven tells us that God uses them to show us his beauty. The light of God's glory shines brighter. Listen. The light of God's glory shines brighter through the diamond of racial and cultural diversity. It's the gospel that motivates us to cross racial and cultural lines. To see God's vision for a new community. God's vision, listen to me church, is oneness, not sameness. And so when we grow and, and we progress through this vision of oneness, we pass through several different realities. We all start in this place of ignorance. We all begin in this place of ignorance. And as we progress, we move from ignorance to awareness. And from awareness to interaction. And from interaction, we move to gospel community. But all of us have, have, have been in this place of ignorance. We carry certain presuppositions about race. And we carry certain presuppositions about culture. But in order to move from ignorance to awareness, it requires something very difficult of us. It requires humility. We have to admit, we just, 
don't know other ethnicities like we know our own. And when we walk in humility, we begin to open ourselves to experiences of people from other different cultures. We allow ourselves to begin the process of sitting in their shoes. At the very least, awareness awareness puts us in the know. At most, awareness moves us towards interaction. And when we move towards interaction, our presuppositions begin to change, or at least they, they become informed. And healthy interaction puts us in situations, and it puts us in places where we're with other ethnicities, where we have the opportunity to listen and to respect each other. Interaction requires hard work. And it requires humility, and it's very uncomfortable. But interaction moves us towards the reality of Revelation chapter 7. Interaction is not the ultimate goal. Gospel community is. And gospel community among races and cultures means that we're not just sitting and listening and respecting one another, but we're treating one another with love, like their family. Families stick up for each other. They care for each other. They assume burdens for each other. The best our culture can hope for apart from Jesus is interaction, and that's a good and healthy thing. Respect and listening. But we're treating one another, and we should be treating one another with love, as if they are family, as if we are family. And people around us never can move to this place of being family because we understand something they don't. We understand grace. Grace is the great leveler. And when the gospel levels the playing field through grace, it frees us up to enjoy our cultures in a brand new light. The gospel stands in contrast to the culture around us. The way of the gospel brings freedom. It brings life. It brings a community that's full of diversity. And because of our oneness in the body of Christ, then we have this extraordinary opportunity to show the world the manifest wisdom of God through unity in diversity. That's Christ's promise to us. It will one day be perfectly fulfilled in heaven. But the church has the privilege and the opportunity to live it out today. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I want to close a little differently this morning. I'd like to lead us in just a very short and simple prayer time, and maybe you want to write down these four different prayers and maybe engage with these prayers at some point today or this week. If you have something to write with, maybe you can write these down. Number one, I'd like to ask us to pray for our brothers and sisters of color who are hurting. 
If you're a believer this morning, gospel community calls us to treat them in love like family because they are. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters of color this morning who are hurting. Number two, I'd like to ask you to pray for yourself and ourselves that God would expose our ignorance, move us towards awareness that leads to interaction, eventual gospel community. Let's pray. pray that the Holy Spirit of the living God would root out any sign of racism in our hearts. Finally, would you pray today for God to heal our city and our nation through the revival of hearts that are awakened to the gospel? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.